Like the Japanese trains, we're on time, spot on time this morning. Welcome, welcome to the nine o'clock. Uh, lovely to see you all. And um, we're grateful to have sound and vision this morning. There was a possibility that we weren't getting sound today, which is a bit tricky. But uh, Aidan has uh, arrived. He was due to be out with street pastors, but in the end he wasn't. So let's give thanks for that. So thank you, Aidan, for coming. And uh, Peter has some notices for us. Good morning. Uh, the Sacred Day is fast approaching, 24th of September. Hopefully that date is ingrained on your memory by now. Uh, and uh, we are praying uh, for that. And uh, Christopher Landau, who is the Director of Resource, is our speaker on the day. Uh, so the way to sign up for that, if you want to come, is to go on the website and there's a big sign-up button there you can click on and that takes you to the next page and then you just put your name in. It's very easy. Don't be scared by the internet. It is very easy. If you, if you don't want to do that and sign up that way, we'll provide a paper sign-up sheet or you can ring Sarah in the office to do that. Uh, we are praying into the day, as I say, and we're providing you with these prayer flyers that look like that. This is the second one, which um, Ingrid was giving out. Oh, not Ingrid. Hilary was giving out as you came in. Uh, so this is to help you to pray into the day. There's prayer prompts, prayer suggestions for you to pray into it. So uh, do use that during the week. We're also praying for the day, the sacred day, this evening at 1, 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, praying into that at the prayer meeting tonight. So you're very welcome to come to that as well. Uh, please be praying also for sunbeams and coffin. The room starts on Tuesday, is that right, Margaret? Yeah, so we start on Tuesday. Uh, and also, pr uh, please be praying for the school. The school term is up and running again. And we'll be, up, we'll be back into school, doing school assembly on Wednesday. So lots to pray into. And um, also the next uh, all-day service, uh, 10.45, today is a baptism with two baptism families coming. So please pray into that as well. Just lately there seems to be a, a lot of chatter, real buzz before the service, and I was going to say, well, let's just take some moments to quiet ourselves, but you've all been sat here beautifully quiet, <laughs> which is lovely, and I trust you've been preparing your hearts to meet with the Lord today. So let's just have a few more moments of quiet, and just release all the things that uh, concern us in the week, all the joys and the sorrows, anything that's on our mind, and focus our hearts and minds on coming to worship the living God. And so we join together in the prayer of preparation. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and magnify your holy name. 
through Christ our Lord. Amen. And so we come to worship God in this wonderful old hymn, or Worship the King, all glorious above. And uh, it speaks of the greatness of our God, and it finishes up our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Oh, worship the King, let's stand to worship God. right before we continue in worship that we deal with all the faults and failings of the past week. So let's take a few moments to think of those things. Those times when you spoke without thinking and it was harsh and unkind. Those times when we just couldn't be bothered to do what we know we should have done. Those times when the thoughts of our hearts were not particularly enlightening. And if people could read the thoughts of our hearts, which ones would be 
which ones would we be ashamed of? And so we bring all those things to our Father now. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. And we have the confidence of God's word that we've received forgiveness. God's word says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from every kind of wrong. And so we continue in worship in our next hymn, celebrates uh, the wonder that is Jesus, meekness and majesty, his humanity and his deity. So we stand to sing meekness and majesty.
please be seated. Now, one of our many Johns is coming to bring the reading to us, and while he comes, you can start looking it up. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom, also, he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Peter's coming to bring us God's word. Let's just pray for him. Father, we thank you for the preciousness of your word. We thank you that it's a living word. And we ask that by your spirit this morning, you would speak into our hearts. We pray for Peter, that as through this week he has studied and listened to you, that he will bring you the words that you want him to say. Uh, bless him now by your spirit as he teaches us and brings us your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. Now, you may have thought the passage I preached on a couple of weeks ago was difficult enough on wives and husbands, but here we go again. Uh, let's no, make no bones about it. This is a very difficult passage to interpret and to understand. So have a Bible open in front of you, please, if you can, because you'd be good to follow it through with me. And uh, we're looking at uh, one, as we obviously we know, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 to 22. Look, uh, just for example, at two of the verses, 19 and 20, say this, After being made alive, he, Jesus, went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. What on earth does that mean? Uh, the message version, which... Uh, uh, I and others uh, frequently turn to to shed some light on a scripture just to see how another version uh, puts it into words and, and, and normally makes it clearer. Um, isn't actually that much clearer, but I'll read it to you. Uh, the message version of those verses says, He went to proclaim God's salvation to earlier generations who ended up in the prison of judgment because they wouldn't listen. You know, even though God waited patiently all the days that Noah built his ship, only a few were saved then, Eight to be exact, saved from the water, by the water. 
Now you can look up this, these verses in any number of translations. And there are a lot of translations. And you can look up any number of commentaries and there are lots of commentaries and you could still be no nearer understanding what Peter is talking about. Now there's no evidence that the Apostle Paul read Peter's letters but if he did he may have laughed at one point. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 16 Peter says that Paul is sometimes difficult to understand. Now Paul might have wondered if the pot was calling the kettle black at this point in this passage that we've got before us today. Ian, I wonder if you could just keep the passage on the screen as well, just in case it's helpful uh, to have it there as well. Thank you. The, the, that's, just keep, I'll refer to it as we go along, so that's fine. Okay. However, don't lose heart. Be not discouraged. Uh, be encouraged, that's a better way of putting it. Be encouraged. It is possible to get our heads around this passage. We need to do a bit of work together on what Peter is saying to us here. And if you've got the, the whole reading in front of you, uh, and if you were to look at it a few times, you'd see that verses 18 to 22 are one unit, one block of thought, if you like. Because verse 18 begins with... Uh, the death of Jesus and then the, it leads to the it climaxes in the exaltation of Jesus in verse 22 so verse 18 Peter refers to Jesus suffering for us for Christ also suffered once for sins and then it builds up towards the end of the passage to verse 22 when he says that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand in other words Jesus is exalted to the highest, the Father's right hand. Now, do you notice there's a little word for at the beginning of verse 18? And so that little word for basically means that that block, 18 to 22, follows on from what has come before. Okay, so it's like because or since. So basically what's happening is that that block of writing, 18 to 22, links back to verse 17. And what does verse 17 say? It says, it is good, it is better, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So the little word for, at the beginning of verse 18, links back to that thought in verse 17. There's a reason for how we view something. There's a ground for how we view something. Why is it better? So basically, he's answering the question, why is it better to do for suffering for doing good <clears throat> than for doing evil? Why is it better? Verse 17. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So Peter is answering the implied question, well, why is that? You know, we can understand... I think, can't we, that, you know, suffering uh, for doing what is wrong is maybe okay. You know, people suffer for doing wrong all the time. They, they're put in prison, for example. But it can be difficult to wrap our heads around the fact that, you know, well, why should we suffer for doing good? That's a, that's a difficult concept to get our heads around. So Peter's answering this question, uh, and, he's, and he's asking the the early church is asking us to consider that question with him. 
So what does he want us to take from these verses? Why is it better to suffer for doing right rather than doing evil? Well, let's sum it up like this. Why is it better for suffering for doing good rather than doing evil? Because Jesus has already walked the road marked with suffering and it was a pathway to his vindication and glory. And so therefore that is the pathway we are called to walk too. So try and keep that overarching truth in your mind as we go through this reading. That will help us to understand it a bit more. So Peter is encouraging Christians in their suffering. I think we'd all agree, and we've been talking about suffering a lot in the, in the sermons in this series, haven't we? We've been thinking through, well, you know, being a Christian means there will be suffering. It's part and parcel of being a Christian. Suffering will come your way. Suffering has come your way, I'm sure. But sometimes we can still say, mm, actually, I don't really think I want to suffer for Christ. I think I'd rather not suffer for Christ. And maybe sometimes we, we sort of fall into that mentality, well, actually, it doesn't really affect you and I. It doesn't affect us, really, particularly. We live in uh, a country where it is okay to be a Christian. We live in a country where it is okay to share the gospel. We live in a country where we can come to church, we can openly pray, we can openly worship. So therefore, actually, you know, this level of persecution will never come my way. But of course we know that suffering for being a Christian is happening right now and it is going on in a very stern way in lots of places around the world. In a harsh way, there, is, there are places today where if you are a Christian, you will suffer isolation. You would suffer beatings. You would suffer being put in prison. You may even suffer being killed for your faith. Estimated, there's an estimate that over 100,000 Christians are killed because of their faith each year. We, we don't know. We, we can never know the vast number of, of Christians who are persecuted for their faith around the world, who are physically harmed for their faith. We can never know exactly. Again, an estimate in North Korea is that about 50,000 to 70,000 Christians live in concentration camps, prisons, prison-like circumstances in that country right now under the regime of the leader Kim Jong-un. Christian suffering is as old as the church itself. For most of the world, for most of history, being a Christian has not been safe. Stephen Neal says in his History of Christian Missions that in the first three centuries when the church was spreading like wildfire around the Roman Empire, he says this, I quote, every Christian knew that sooner or later he or she might have to testify to their faith at the cost of their life. So Peter, the apostle, is bringing encouragement to people who face this as a reality in their day-to-day -day life, in their day-to-day -day walk with Jesus, this reality that sooner or later their testifying to Jesus may well end up in them losing their life. And so he's bringing them encouragement. 
And scripture speaks just now. This is God's word. God is saying, be encouraged now in whatever situation you are in. Verse 14, Debbie preached on these verses last week. It says very much the same thing. If you look back to verse 14, Peter says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And so Peter's extending the argument here. And the main point of these verses is to get us ready, to get ready to suffer with Jesus for doing what is right, not for doing what is wrong. And yet there are some very puzzling things in these verses. Let's again look at verses 18 and 19. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. So, firstly, Peter wants us to consider the sufferings of our Saviour Jesus. We can never fully comprehend the suffering of Jesus. We can never get our heads around what Jesus went through us, uh, for us on the cross that he hung there on the cross for six hours for us, for the world. And the cosmic battle is raging. We can never understand the extent of that, the depth of the, the, the suffering he faced as he took on sin and evil and death head on. We can never understand that fully, way beyond our comprehension. But it's enough to know that Jesus suffered greatly for our sins. He suffered because it was God's will, his Father's will, was to suffer. He was put to death in the flesh so that we can live eternally. That's what Peter's saying. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. In other words, Jesus was raised to life immortal. He was raised to the body that is incorruptible and immortal. And that is the body we are promised to when we are raised with Christ. Paul says in that great passage in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53, Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. So Peter wants us to consider that Christ has suffered for us. He's suffered for us in, in the depth of all that we have done wrong against him and against others. He's suffered for us. He's suffered for the world. But it didn't end with his suffering and death. Of course it doesn't. That's the beginning. And so Peter says, not only do we see the sufferings of our Saviour, we also see, secondly, the victory of our Saviour. And this is where we look at these verses 20 to 22. Difficult ones to understand. I'll read them again. Jesus went to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, 
but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. So even though Jesus suffered the excruciating pain, the unbelievable pain of crucifixion as he died, he was resurrected. He was vindicated, that's the theological word, vindicated. And his ultimate victory is seeing the fact that he is now at the right hand of the Father. Now, in the midst of that, all that, Peter then describes Noah. He talks about the story of Noah and the flood. We know the story, quickly recounting it, but that God looked at the wickedness of humanity. He was sorry for the people he'd made, and then he prepared to destroy the earth, the flood. But Noah, the man Noah, was found, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God told him to build an ark. For 120 years, Noah called people back to him. He preached to them. He said, come back to God. And of course, he built the ark at the same time. And eventually, God flooded the world, and all the wicked people drowned. Only eight people were saved. And those eight men and women were delivered and given victory. Everybody else died. And Peter calls them those that were disobedient. So for 120 years, the Holy Spirit spoke through Noah, preached to uh, those around him. He says, stop sinning. Stop your wickedness. Turn back to God. But they didn't. They disobeyed God, and so they died in the flood. Verse 21. And this water symbolizes baptism and now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not saved by the waters of baptism. We're not saved by being baptised. We're saved by putting our faith in Jesus. That's how salvation happens and works. Baptism is a sign or a picture of what has happened to us because of Christ. In baptism we go into the water and we come up out of the water or sprinkle with water and that signifies that our sins have been dealt with. As I said at the start, in the 1045, we're going to be baptising uh, two children. We're going to be using the bowl. We're not going to be putting them in the big pool there and you know, all of that. I'm going to be sprinkling them. But essentially, it's the same symbolism. The water of baptism is like the flood that washed away the sin of the world at that time in Genesis. And the ark is a picture of salvation through Jesus. And so when people put their trust in Jesus, when you and I put our trust in Jesus, when others put their trust in Jesus, God forgives our sins. And he says, start afresh. Start new with me, says God. And so our sins are washed away or cleansed because of the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for us on the cross. And so because Jesus is victorious, Therefore, we are victorious. Because he suffered at the cross and he was victorious, we have the victory too. And so that's how Peter ends this, this, this passage. 
Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the, the right hand of God. And he is now ruling over angels, authorities and powers who are in submission to him. Jesus has power and authority over all things. Everything is under his authority. Everything has been put under his feet. Jesus has the victory. And so Peter is saying, consider what Jesus has done for you. Consider what Christ has gone through for you. And be strengthened, encouraged, be prepared to face the suffering that will come your way. The suffering that you will face in your life. Be encouraged because Christ walks this road with you. He will never leave us or forsake us, said Paul. And so going back to verse 17, where it starts. We're called to suffer if that is God's will for us. He says, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Sometimes it's God's will that we suffer for doing what is right. Sometimes that's the path that God has for us. It's not an easy thing to understand, is it? We may not like it. We may want to run away from that. But through these verses, we find encouragement and hope if that's the case. And not only with that encouragement, I want, I want to end with another. Because Peter says that baptism is the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. What he's saying is baptism, again, is a reminder. It's a reminder, an encouragement that Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, appeals for us. He's there at the right hand of the Father. He's making a pledge for us in the presence of the Almighty. He is there for us, appealing to God for us. In Jesus, we have direct access to the Father, who is the maker of heaven and earth. Nicky Gumbel, in the Alpha Course, tells the story of a soldier in the Civil War in America. And uh, this soldier heard that his mum had died, and so he wanted to go back home. He wanted to, to leave his regiment, and he wanted to go back and be with his family and visit. Every officer that he asked permission said, no, this is above my pay grade. I can't give you permission to, to go and leave the army. And so eventually he decided he would go and seek the permission of the President of the United States himself. So he went to the White House in Washington, D.C. And he tried to get in, knocked on the door, and the soldiers were there guarding uh, the entrance to the White House and said, no, you can't come in. Who are you to say you want to come in and see the President? No, of course not. He wouldn't let him in. So he sat down, he went round the back of the White House, he sat down on a bench, and he began to cry. And a little boy came up to him and said, well, what's the matter with you? Why are you crying? What's the matter? And he told his story. He said why he was so upset. And he told everything. And the boy said, don't worry, just follow me. And so the boy led him round the back of the White House, took him by the hand, he led him round the back, and he, and he led him through the back door. The guard was there still, and the guard saw the boy let him through straight away, straight into the old Oval Office where Abraham Lincoln was having a meeting. Daddy, says the little boy, the soldier needs to speak to you. And so we go back to where we started. 
Why is it better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil? Because Jesus, our Saviour, has already walked that road. He's walked the road which is marked with righteous suffering. And it's the pathway that leads to his vindication and glory. And that's the pathway, pathway we are called to walk to. In Jesus, we have direct access to the Father. Like that little boy in the story. We can go to him any time, day or night. And we have direct access to the Father because of the sufferings of our Saviour. And the victory of our Saviour. As the message version puts it, at the end of the passage, it says, Jesus has the last word on everything and everyone, from angels to armies. He's standing right alongside God, and what he says goes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though we suffer for doing good, you are with us. You walk alongside the path with us. You are with us at all times, and we can turn to you at all times. And we can say, Abba, Father, help. Help me to walk this road of suffering with you and for you. We can lean on the Spirit. We can lean on the encouragement of our friends. We can lean on the encouragement of your word. Help us to lean into you, Lord Jesus, when we suffer for doing good. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Peter. The suffering of our Saviour, the victory of our Saviour, whatever we're going through, we can be encouraged that Jesus knows exactly what it's like because he suffered more than any of us. Peter suggested that we might uh, use this song uh, for reflection. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, and it seems very appropriate for the message that we've just received. So we're just going to sit and uh, listen to the words and um, uh, reflect on these words as we, uh, we try and take on board and take into our hearts the message that God's been giving us this morning.
And now we come to pray for the needs of the world. It's one of the privileges that we have when we come together as God's people that we can bring the things that are on our hearts to him. And uh, each one of us will have specific things that are important to us. So for our prayers today, uh, we introduce a number of areas like our world or our country. And then in a period of silence, you can offer uh, to God your specific concerns. So as we pray for the world, it might be Ukraine, maybe it's, it's somewhere else that's important to you, something else that's going on in the world that God's laid on your heart. So whatever it is, you bring that to him. And I will close each section with a, a short prayer. So we think of our troubled world, the war in Ukraine, many countries experiencing civil strife. Millions of refugees. Millions suffering from lack of basics, water, food, shelter. Floods in other places.
Father, where there is war, bring those in power to seek a speedy peace. Watch over the innocent, protect the vulnerable, and where there are refugees and floods and disasters, prosper and enable those who seek to bring aid to those in dire need. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we think of our country, the appointment of a new prime minister tomorrow, and all the problems they will face, economic, social, environmental. Father, we pray for our new Prime Minister and for our leaders at every level, from government to local councils. Give them wisdom and courage to do what is right and what is best for all. Lord, in your mercy. We think of our local communities, our friends, our neighbours, for those we know struggling with physical or mental health, uncertainty about the future, loneliness, damaged relationships. Father, we pray for your presence to be with all those we have named before you in our hearts all those who are struggling at the moment. Bring peace, reassurance, wisdom and strength to them. Help us to know how we can best express your love to them in practical ways. Lord, in your mercy. And then we think of the church, this family of believers in our love and care for one another and how we share the good news with the community around us. Father, let there be love shared among us, and may we be guided and empowered by you as we share the good news of Jesus. We pray especially for the forthcoming Sanctuary Day, that it will be a day of great blessing when you will speak clearly into the life of our fellowship. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Merciful Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I invite you to please stand as we declare what we as Christians believe. And we're going to do it with this responsive version of the creed today. You join in the words in bold type. So I ask you, do you believe and trust in God the Father? I believe in God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe and trust in his Son, Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, 
crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. Third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe and trust in the Holy Spirit? lovely there was a sense that you i believe in this there was a sense of declaration and and and, and strength about that oh, that's quite a tingle there for me and it's lovely to hear that it's horrible when something like that is mumbled and you didn't mumble so thank you for blessing me this morning now we're going to come to share the peace and now that covid's falling uh, away once again um we're encouraged to feel free to move around and, and share the peace if you'd like to. But we need to be aware that there are some who would like to maintain a safe distance. So it's suggested that if you would prefer not to be approached, that you sit down once the invitation to share the peace has been spoken. But for now, Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body by the cross. We meet in his name and share his peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let us share the sign of peace. Eucharistic prayer be. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, we give you thanks and praise through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, your living word through whom you have created all things, who was sent by you in your great goodness to be our Saviour. By the power of the Holy Spirit he took flesh. As your Son born of the Blessed Virgin, he lived on earth and went about among us. He opened wide his arms for us on the cross. 
He put an end to death by dying for us and revealed the resurrection by rising to new life. So he fulfilled your will and won for you a holy people. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you are holy indeed, the source of all holiness. Grant by the power of your Holy Spirit and according to your holy will, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the same night that he is betrayed took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And so, Father, according to mine, his death on the cross, his perfect sacrifice made once for the sins of the whole world, rejoicing in his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, and looking for his coming in glory, we celebrate this memorial of our redemption. As we offer you this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, we bring before you this bread and this cup, and we thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. Send the Holy Spirit on your people and gather into one in your kingdom all who share this one bread and one cup so that we in the company of all the saints may praise and glorify you forever through Jesus Christ our Lord by whom and with whom and in whom in the unity of the Holy Spirit all honour and glory be yours almighty Father forever and ever. Amen. As our Saviour has taught us so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Uh, you'll be guided forward, and the normal custom uh, still applies, and the non-alcoholic wine will be on this side.
Body of Christ, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. And so we pray this prayer together following communion. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. So we come to our final hymn, and I always like to choose a hymn which will send us out into the coming week in a good spirit and encouraged and strengthened. And what better hymn to remind us that we are constantly in uh, the thoughts and the presence of our living God before the throne of God above. So wherever we are, Jesus is there interceding for us through every difficulty, every trial, sharing every joy with us. So let's stand and sing this lovely song to close our worship this morning.
My life is hid with Christ on high. Isn't that lovely? Take that out into the world as you go through this coming week. Well, thank you to all those who have helped to make this service today. Peter for bringing God's word. Aidan for sound and Ian for vision. And Sue, thank you for playing for us this morning. John at the back, uh, organising everything. And our stewards. Lots of people involved. And we're thankful to all of you. And now um, let's invite God's blessing on one another as we go out into the coming week. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. And I should have reminded you, don't forget this coffee. Coffee at the table, tea at the hatch. Biscuits on the table, sugar everywhere. <laughs> Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.